Will Jason come up and bring us God's word? Thought there was going to be an introduction, you know, a grand one. Um, yeah, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, it's good to be visiting. I, I see some of the new uh, gadgets that you guys have with the TVs. Um, I assume you have someone doing the slides in the back. Um, but yeah, it just reminds me um, as I was looking at the, the screen and like how it kind of blanked out for a sec. And then the, it's showing words that are not what Rob is singing. Um, and it's just like, it reminds me of the trauma that pastors go, every, go through every Sunday. Um, and case in point, last week, I'm, I'm out in the booth in the back. Um, and we realized 10 minutes before the service that we're not going to be able to get the slides going, um, which has all the lyrics, all the scripture readings and all that. Um, and we make the decision like, yeah, we just don't have slides today. <laughs> and we got to start, you know, printing bulletins in our congregation is like 200 people. Um, and so I was like, all right, we had 10 minutes before service. All right, let's print 200 bulletins. Um, so, yeah, when the screen goes out and it doesn't say what the, the singer, the worship leader is singing, um, yeah, you just got to be ready with bulletins. So, um, yeah, I don't want to scare you guys, but it just reminds me of the trauma that, um, that pastors go through every Sunday. Like, you plan really, really well, but just, you know, just got to roll with the punches. Um, just be gracious and merciful and, um, and just see what happens, you know. Um, so... And the point is worshiping the Lord and, and seeing God's word this morning. So, um, yeah, so my name is Jason. Um, I am from nearby Union, Kentucky. Um, and for many years, I've been visiting this church uh, through college and seminary. It's um, good to be back uh, to visit again. Uh, this is my second visit this summer, so that doesn't happen quite often. So just really thankful to be here um, and also thankful to bring God's word to you guys this morning. Um, and what I want to do this morning is be looking at a passage that will help me communicate um, what has been on my heart for the past uh, few years. Um, and what's been on my heart is connected to what I'm doing now. Um, as many of you know, I've been living in St. Louis uh, for the past four years uh, to go to seminary. And while in seminary, um, I got involved with another PCA church, uh, mainly helping out with their youth ministry. Um, and that involvement has turned into a new opportunity. Um, a year before, I was about to graduate the pastors and elders. Case in point. Like I, told, I mean, <laughs> Hey, I tell you, uh, that's actually happened at my church in St. Louis, too. Yeah, just mics go out. And um, actually, the soundboard one time just started, like, smoking. Like, it was, like, very... And I'm like, eh, what you You know, so um, it just happens, you know. Um, but yeah, back to where I was. I, I hope things are okay. I'm going to keep going. Um, but yeah, the pastors, elders approached me um, a year before I was about to graduate um, about my interest in this plan to church plant. Um, and by that point, I was already thinking about church planting, um, but I didn't know the church plan was going to come and find me. Um, so after thinking and praying about it for a year, um, I ended up saying yes to my church, to church plants, um, not because they had a great plan or that St. Louis has this greater need than other places, um, but because of this shared heart um, that we had behind church planting. Um, so this heart is what I want to focus on this morning. Um, I'm not necessarily going to talk about church planting, although I'm very interested in doing that with you if you are interested. Um, rather, I want to focus on the heart that drives church planting. Um, so how we're going to do that is by looking at Matthew chapter 9, 
uh, verses 35 to 38 together, uh, where we get to see Jesus' heart um, that he had during his time on earth. Uh, now, before we go any further, let's go ahead and pray um, for our time in God's word together. Father, um, we thank you for this morning. Um, we thank you for our time to gather, to worship you. Um, I pray for your spirit to be with us, um, to help us to understand your word together, um, to be changed by uh, the spirit, uh, to have our hearts formed, um, and to uh, go out into the world in the way that you want us uh, to go out. Um, so thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So this past week, um, I've been visiting with several financial supporters of my ministry, um, and many of them are my friends. Um, and something that I've been feeling more acutely uh, this week as I've been meeting with these people is how helpless we are in life. Um, and this feeling continued to grow throughout the week, meeting after meeting, person after person. Um, and this is because before we talked about church planting or what I was doing, uh, we chatted about life. How are things? How, what's been going on with you? Uh, and sure, people talked about good things um, that have been going on with them. Uh, one friend told me about him getting a desired job. Um, another friend told me about a new house and a new baby. Another is rejoicing that he was able to get honorably discharged from the Marine Corps. Um, and some others are rejoicing that they had a summer off because they're teachers. Um, but as we continue to chat, these good things are always followed by hardships. Uh, the friend who got a new job has a not-so-kind new boss. Uh, the friend with a new house and a new baby realizes he can't change careers to one that he enjoys more because he has to support his family and pay his bills. The former Marine realizes that he has to deal now with the trauma of his service, but also a broken marriage. And the teachers who got a summer off realizes that, realizes that it got filled with other things and it became no longer time off, and now the school year is suddenly upon them. So these are all Christians trying to follow Jesus, try to do good, have well-intentioned plans, yet we often find ourselves in helpless positions. Life is not kind, even for Christians. Now as I say these things, I assume that you can relate, right? You have many blessings, um, but often the hardships take up a lot of time in your minds and hearts. The hardships are all that you can see in your life. We feel helpless and kind of harassed by life, and we can't escape it. As we turn to Matthew 9 this morning, uh, we'll see that we're not alone in our helplessness. Uh, to be human is to also experience this feeling of helplessness. But as we turn to our passage this morning, uh, what we'll find is a heart that is attuned to that feeling of helplessness, and yet has a hope to continue on and to help others continue on as well. And how we'll see that is through the heart of Jesus. And I want us to see three things in the heart of Jesus. Uh, the first is the anchored heart. The second is the compassionate heart. And third is the relational heart. But first, let's read our passage together. So starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the first thing we're going to see in our text this morning is the anchored heart. Um, But what do I mean by anchored? Um, Well, an anchor is something that a ship uses to stay rooted in a spot. The ship is the vessel, the most important part, but the anchor is also very important because it helps it stay in its place even in the midst of storms. As we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see a heart that is anchored. But this begs the question, what is Jesus' heart anchored in? Look with me at verse 35 again. It says, Jesus went teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. That was Jesus' anchor. When Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, Jesus taught the most important thing that was on his heart. The gospel of the kingdom. And what is interesting about this, about this anchor is that it's not an object that you can physically touch or feel. Rather, it's a message. It's news. It's good news. It's a story. It's a story that Jesus anchors himself in. It's the story of the kingdom. Now, stories are the most powerful anchors for the human heart. Uh, you see Jesus ministering in a time that is much like ours, a world that had many different messages and stories going around. Uh, Whether you are a Roman citizen, a Jew, a slave, or maybe an Egyptian, everyone had a way to explain themselves and also the world around them. And how they did that was through certain messages and stories. And what Jesus is saying here is that as he is teaching his people in the synagogues, and as even to us as we read this passage now, is that the story of the gospel is where our hearts should be anchored to. It's where we can and should find our identity, our satisfaction, our direction in life. The story of the gospel is that good and also that capable to do that. Capable enough to be that needed anchor for our hearts. The world desperately needs an anchor. It needs a base story that explains life's toughest questions. And our hearts are always seeking out that story. And I guarantee you, if your heart can't find a story, it will, it will, I'll guarantee you that it will make one up. When I was in seminary, I started realizing this about my own heart. Um, during my first year, I was part of a weekly group of guys um, that, where we shared our life stories with each other. And how we specifically did that was by drawing significant memories on a poster board, Um, And then we would present it to our group, and we would do that over the course of two weeks. Um, So long sessions, like not just like, here's 10 minutes, Um, like sharing a testimony up here. Um, We would actually take uh, two separate meetings an hour each to share significant memories. And what I began to realize was that these memories were like little stories, these little stories that I anchored my heart in. And for whatever reason, most of the stories that I recalled were negative ones. Memories of mistakes I've made, things that I've lost. There were good memories in there for sure, um, but they were always overshadowed by the negative ones. And what's crazy is that these memories, these things that happened to me, aren't considered huge traumatic events that a counselor or a therapist would say would take years and years to process through. No, these were small in normal memories. And yet these memories were powerful. And through the combination of them all, my heart developed its own story, 
filled with themes of shame, regret, unworthiness, burden. And the same thing happened to all the other guys in my group. Yes, we're all Christian men who believed in the gospel, but at the same time, we were overwhelmed by the beliefs that we gained from our own life stories. You see, human hearts desperately need an anchor. And what Jesus offers is a story that is worth anchoring yourself in. It's a story much better than the one that your heart can come up with on its own. And this isn't to say that you should forget about your life story. No, your life story does matter. But it's also a story that isn't able to explain itself. The story of the gospel is a story that explains every single story. And if you're a Christian, you probably know this, right? But often we act as though it doesn't. Uh, Throughout the week, you act as though your worth and significance is in the things that you do rather than in God's love and delight in you. Or you act as though your sins are unforgivable, even though Jesus says he paid for it all. God's people forget about the gospel story, even though the gospel says all these true and good things about you. This is why we need churches. When Jesus came onto the scene, he first taught the gospel, not to those outside the church, even though that is very important, he first taught to those inside the church. So look again at verse 35. Jesus taught where? In the synagogues, the places of worship for the Jewish people. The Jewish people, the possessors of God's story to love and redeem the world of his brokenness, forgot the story, and Jesus came to teach it again. And you're no different. You need that teaching too. This is why it's encouraged for you to go to church each and every Sunday. Your heart is prone to anchor itself in a different story. But every Sunday, your heart has an opportunity to anchor itself in the gospel again. Now what happens to your heart after continually anchoring itself in the gospel story? This is what we see next in our passage this morning. So look with me at verse 36, where we encounter here something so beautiful. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. So, so far we've been talking about what our hearts tend to do. But here we see the heart of something else, and more specifically of someone else. The heart of the gospel is compassion. The heart of Jesus is compassion. When Jesus proclaims that the gospel of the kingdom is here in the book of Matthew, he's talking about the same thing, but in two different ways. He's calling to mind the grand story of God's redemption, but he's also talking about himself. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. He is the story in person form. And the heart of this story, the heart of this person, is compassion. And why does Jesus have compassion? Look with me at verse 36 again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus sees us, he sees people in dire need, or helpless and harassed. Unable to find the right way or path, he sees people looking for an anchor and unable to find one. He sees a reality that should not be. And when Jesus sees this, he reacts with compassion. Um, One commentator says, As he looks at the Greek word for compassion, he translated it as his heart went out to them. So when Jesus sees us, his heart 
goes out to us. Compassion is something our world desperately needs, um, and yet we can probably agree that our world is in short supply of compassion. But interestingly, in times of tragedy and trouble uh, that hits close to home, often, more times than not, compassion shows up. Take, for example, the recent floodings in eastern Kentucky, uh, homes and possessions lost, lives lost, complete towns being wiped away, right? These are terrible tragedies near home. And for many of us in Kentucky, this has caused incredible responses of compassion. Um, I came across one GoFundMe page that's being shared throughout Facebook, and it ended up showing up on my Facebook, and as of a few days ago, it has donations up to $5,000, people who are anonymous. Or consider, for example, uh, the $2.4 million raised last week by the Kentucky basketball team during their telethon. These are incredible responses of compassion. But how does that happen? I think it happens because it hits home, these tragedies that hit home. Some of us know people affected, or maybe we've been through eastern Kentucky as we travel. Um, but even if you don't know anyone in those areas, or you've never been to eastern Kentucky, at the end of the day, these people are fellow Kentuckians, right? It's our own state. So we tell ourselves this is also our own pain and suffering that these eastern Kentuckians go through. And for Jesus, this is where we connect with Jesus. For Jesus, our helplessness hits home for him. And because he's anchored in the gospel story, it hits him really hard. God's story started with the perfect creation, not be, uh, but because of sin, it was no longer a perfect place. And when Jesus came into the mess that we call our world, he personally felt the helplessness. He saw the oppression, he saw the poverty, he saw the broken marriages and families, illnesses, famines, natural disasters, conflict, hatred, greed, lust, the list can go on and on. God's perfect and beautiful creation was deeply broken, and for Jesus, it hit him like a ton of bricks. And how did Jesus respond? He responded with his heart. His heart went out to us. He had compassion. So you see, being anchored in the gospel causes a deep heart of compassion. And as God's church, we struggle with this, right? Why, why as Christians, are we called judgmental often, right? Um, yes, we have our beliefs, and we can't control what other people do or respond to those beliefs. But how do we have a heart of compassion as Christians, and to answer this, I'm just going to make you know, one suggestion and kind of personalize it for you. Um, and this is work that even I, you know, will take years and years uh, to do. Um, and if you're already doing it, great. I just, continue, I just encourage you to continue to do that. Um, and my suggestion is this. Anchor yourself, so emphasis on yourself, in the gospel story. For those of you who grew up in the church, uh, I did not. Uh, it's easy to know the gospel story in your head but to not know how it personally affects you. Yes, you are a sinner, but your sins are different than other people. In other words, figure out how you particularly feel helpless and harassed and how you respond uh, to not feel that. 
So all the ways that you try not to feel helpless and harassed. And when you dig that deep, I think profound things can actually happen. Uh, you're more open to the gospel. You're more open to Jesus' love for you. Um, but you're also more compassionate towards others. Not because you know what it's exactly like to go through their situation, um, but you actually know what it's like to feel helpless and harassed. So basically, do the work of knowing that you are a sheep. And what you'll realize is that as you look around you, look at people around you, these people are also sheep in need of a shepherd too. Now as we keep going in our passage, uh, we see the anchored and compassionate heart is not alone. Um, it always results in an action, um, and that action is relationship. So we'll move on to our third point uh, this morning. Uh, Jesus alludes to this next action step in the latter part of verse 36. Uh, he says, the harassed and helpless are like sheep without a shepherd. So there's people who do not know God. There's people who do not know Jesus, the shepherd willing and able to care for thousands and thousands of people. You can't throw money or resources at this deep heart problem of people like we do with natural disasters and many other problems of the world. At the end of the day, Jesus says the solution to our hearts is the relational heart of the shepherd. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. Look with me at verses 37 through 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So Jesus says, uh, Jesus doesn't want to send money, resources, or well wishes. What does Jesus do? He sends people. He sends people. But not just any people. He asks his disciples to pray for laborers people who know what kind of work this is. The qualification of these laborers is that, is that they must have anchored and compassionate hearts like him. The Lord sends out people who know the gospel, live out the gospel, and are able to compassionately relate to others. These people are sheep who point the way to the shepherd. Now, I think this is a key point uh, because laborers are not the key part of the work. The Lord, the shepherd, is orchestrating the whole work. He's already gone out before us. He says the, the harvest is plentiful. It's ready. He's already done, already done all the heavy lifting. And I think that's a role fit for us sheep. We're asked to pray and to show others in the harvest how to be sheep. We don't have to be the shepherd. The burden is off, and yet God invites us to participate in the grand story of redeeming the world. So this work of the church has been doing for over 2,000 years, um, praying for laborers and helping the Lord send laborers into that harvest. Um, and this is what the church needs to keep on doing. Uh, this command to pray for laborers applies to us today. Um, the harvest is still plentiful and, that there's, and there's still sheep to be saved. Um, so this past month, my church has been reading a book um, by Andy Crouch, uh, who is a Christian cultural commentator. Um, it's a book about uh, finding relationships in a technological world, which is funny because we have new technology in this church. Um, and I highly recommend this book. Um, and I mention this book because towards the end, um, it provides, a, I think, a helpful illustration uh, on mission and how the gospel moves throughout the world. 
And how the author does it is through this idea of uh, spiritual generations. Uh, so just let me explain. Um, as a church, we are removed from Jesus by 2,000 years. And if every generation was 20 years, then we are 100 generations removed from Jesus. And if these generations were spiritual generations where we have, where every 20 years there's a successful passing of the gospel to, from one generation to the next, all of us are technically 100 Christians removed from Jesus. 100 spiritual generations separate you from the time of Jesus, a time when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful and to pray that laborers would be sent into it. And I think this is a very helpful way to see the mission of the church. You see, all of us here, 100 spiritual generations later, are benefiting from this 2,000-year-old command to send out laborers. 100 spiritual generations spanning cultures, languages, significant events like wars, inventions, discoveries, and the gospel traveled through all those eras because the harvest is plentiful. The disciples were the first spiritual generation, and you and I are the 100th. Who's going to be the 101st spiritual generation? Now, as I ask that question, I want that to actually motivate you. Um, for me, it does. I'm, I'm church planting. <laughs> um, but I also know it seems daunting, right? Like, even for me, it's daunting. Um, what can I really do? Like you're probably saying, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a church planter. Um, maybe you're even saying, I'm just a Christian with a long way to go, right? Um, and I get that. That might be all true. Um, but at the same time, that's not really the most important factor. Um, yes, we're all called to be sheep and not the shepherd, but that doesn't mean God has us on the sidelines, right? Lord is the focal point, um, but that doesn't mean the sheep are on the sidelines just watching. It's actually the opposite. God delights in using sheep to help other sheep find Jesus. Now I'll close with these two things uh, just to encourage you to prove my point here. Um, if you don't believe me, I want you to think about the 99th spiritual generation before you. For many of you, it's probably your parents. Um, but for all of us, it's probably someone who loved and cared for us. Now, was this person a perfect Christian? Did they have imperfections? Yes. But despite all their imperfections, you felt the love of Jesus through them. Whether they taught you, fed you, prayed for you, or simply was present with you, you saw their anchored heart, their compassionate heart. And often that's all it takes for the gospel to move from one generation to the next. But let me show you something else that I think is even more encouraging, and I'll close with this. Jesus also had spiritual generations before him. The book of Matthew talks about it in chapter 1. The gospel promises literally traveling from one generation to the next, person after person, starting with Abraham, going through people like David, generation after generation until it came to Jesus. And were all these people for perfect, right? Did we, we actually know the stories, right, if we've been in church long enough. These guys were not perfect. Like just off the top of my head, I can think of uh, murder, adultery, 
consist of habitual lying, if we think about Jacob. These people made some really bad mistakes, and yet Jesus came from those spiritual generations. And I think if we focus on that, I think we can be really encouraged. Because if God can do that in Jesus' spiritual generations that led up to him, I think God can definitely use our spiritual generation to reach the next. So let that be encouragement to you. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, uh, I thank you for this uh, time in your word. Um, I thank you for Matthew 9. I pray it be encouragement to us uh, as we see Jesus in his heart uh, to reach us, to be our shepherd. Uh, I pray uh, that we would be encouraged that you are compassionate towards us, that you see our helplessness, um, that we are harassed by life, um, and yet you continue to pursue us and to love us. Um, Pray as sheep that we continue to follow you as our shepherd um, and that we uh, go alongside other people to show them the great shepherd as well. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The harvest is plentiful.